you're visiting with us, once again, we, we go over our mission statement every January to remind ourselves what God has called us to be and do as a church, um, which is that we are a refuge for broken people to experience the grace of Christ and to express the truth of the gospel. So the question becomes, now what, right? <laughs> now that we're experiencing, expressing, um, what are we supposed to do with that at the refuge? We said at the beginning that, that we get better, meaning that, that we hope by the authority of the scriptures, the more that we, we believe and trust in God's word, the more that we will become more like Jesus and less like ourselves. That's what it means to get better. Understand this, because this is an important distinction. Getting better, better isn't measured um, just by going, I used to do all these things and now I don't. You know, like moralism can produce that. You can try really hard if you have any self-discipline and do that. that. That's not what we mean. Now, some of those things may happen, but when we say getting better, we're talking about looking at, at, at places in our life and saying, wow, I'm beginning to look a lot more like Jesus in this instance than myself. Strangely, in this situation, grace has, has produced something that looks more like him than in like, that's what we're after, right? Which leads this morning to this. Um... This is the difference between visiting and, and joining a church. And, and you all did that at one point, if you're members. Uh, some of you did it for like three years, and that was fine. Um, visit and visit and visit. And, and we don't pressure anybody to join. We want you to visit all that you want to visit. Because we know this. There's a difference between visiting and joining, right? Joining comes with, with responsibility, and, and, and ownership and, and, and expectations and, and contributing to the whole, being a part. Visiting is kind of like window shopping. Joining is, is making a purchase and, and, and bringing it home. Um, so what does membership look like? What does is, what is a healthy member look like? That's the topic of the morning. Um, and it's very important for those of us who are elders, who have been given spiritual oversight over your souls. What is a healthy member supposed to look like? What is a gospel-shaped member supposed to look like? That's what we call it. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make this point as graciously as I can this morning. It, it's like going to get a checkup once a year, right? And, and, and your doctor is simply, you know, there are benchmarks that you go over in order to determine your health. That's all we're doing. Like, this is what we think healthy looks like. This is not me browbeating you, you going, serve. Who's not serving? Why aren't you serving? If you love Jesus, you would serve. It's not that. I can do that. It's just, here's what we define health as. Um, I came across a, a lesson plan for teachers that were based on things that come in threes for second graders. Now, second grade's right up my alley. 
I'm a simple guy. I like simple. I like cliff notes. I like lowest common denominator. So second grade is comfortable for me. If you're a second grade teacher and you get to the week on threes and you need to borrow this, you can. <clears throat> Things that come in threes. They have three of them. Can you think of any? A clock has three hands. A season has three months. A tricycle has three wheels. A clover has three leaves. That's why a four-leaf clover is special, because most of them only have three. A stool has three legs. A triangle has three sides. A traffic light has three colors. The Olympics has three medals. An atom has three parts. A triathlon has three events. Many things come in threes. There are three of them. Can you think of more? I can. I mean, if I'm in this class, the first thing that I would have said, because it's a giveaway, it's in the name, the Trinity. Obviously, we're, this wasn't at a Christian school. <laughs> that could have been like top of the list. Y'all, here's why I begin with you this way this morning. Um, every time you pull up at a traffic light, I want you to remember this thing that comes in threes. When we define healthy membership, a gospel-shaped member, we're talking about one that worships and connects and serves. Those are the the three things that we're looking at. Um, And we're very intentional about this. If you just come to church and do none of the other things, you're probably a consumer, right? You come to get and then you leave. Uh, if you just come to connect but don't worship or serve, that's, that's kind of like a, that's a country club. And if you come just to serve without worshiping or connecting, I get, this, I get this call at least 10 times a year. You wouldn't think this. Who would come just to serve? There will be a phone call that will say, uh, we don't go to your church, but our child needs to do community service. And we were just wondering if there's any stuff that you have available. <laughs> so you can serve without, without doing the other two things, but that's, that's community service, right? Y'all, a, a gospel-shaped member is one who is, has come to the refuge as, as a broken sinner, has experienced the grace of Christ, has expressed the truth of the gospel, and now, and now does something, Right? As a member, they worship, connect, and serve. Worship being what we were primarily made for, right? You are primarily made to be a worshiper. That's what we we come together corporately and do weekly. And then connection. Uh, Being known and, and knowing others. The fellowship, the communion of the saints... We are not built for isolation. We, we are built to do life in community. And then finally serving. We all have spiritual gifts. Where can you plug in and, and use those for, for the sake of the body of Madison Heights? It's, it's our responsibility to, to, to at least offer the ability for those things to be cultivated in the lives of the members of our church, right? Let me show you. This is a hard one. Uh, let me show you another place in Scripture where we got where we see all three of these uh, in one text. If you would take your Bibles, 
in staying together with me out of reverence for this portion of God and his word. We are in Luke chapter 4. We're going to go back from where we jumped ahead last week, um, verses 38 to 40. And he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, would you, would you give us soft hearts? Would you give us um, malleable hearts as we, we want to humble ourselves beneath the authority of your word? Um, give us ears to hear and, and eyes with which to see and we ask that, that places in our lives that might be out of conformity with your word, that the Holy Spirit would be so kind as, as to, to bring that back in alignment. Um, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. All right, before we look at the three things, once again, very important. A gospel-shaped member is produced by the experience of grace. It is a response to the experience of grace. It is not produced by guilt or manipulation or compulsion. That's all effective for like three weeks. <laughs> that doesn't produce change, right? Like this is a response to the grace of the gospel. Now, here's what's really interesting about this text. We get a snapshot, as it were, of a particular day in the life of Jesus. And here's what's even more interesting. We get a snapshot of a Sabbath day in the life of Jesus. Did you notice that? What was a, what was a Sabbath day look like? They may not have all been like this, but we, we see one um, that certainly was. And providentially, all three things that, that we define in a gospel-shaped member we see in the text. So let me... Let me point them out to you. This is where these things come from. First thing that we see is worship. Uh, in verse 38, he arose and left the synagogue. If you'll remember from a couple of weeks back, he was his teaching in the synagogue and there was the demon-possessed man that came that Jesus healed. So now they're, they're leaving the synagogue, that same synagogue. Um. So if we go backwards, what were they doing in the synagogue? Why would they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath? It was obviously to what? Worship. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to get me in trouble. Shocker. Do not email me. Um, worship is the primary activity of the Sabbath. Amen. But we are not strict Sabbatarians. Now, that's going to offend some of y'all. Um, hey, you do you, and we'll do what? Grace reigns on that too, right? 
Um, I, I remember when I, when I came here 12 years ago, whatever it's been now, and I had to do a transfer exam, and there was a guy on the committee that, that examined us when we were coming in, and, and um, I remember he looked, he's in glory now, but I, I remember he looked at me, and he, he let his glasses down to his nose, and he had this squint, and he said, I got a question for you, Reverend. Far away. He said, um, he said, what's your view of the Sabbath? Now, that's a loaded question. That can, question can be answered 500 different ways, but I know exactly what he wanted to know. Do you hold the Sabbath in regards as high as that? That's what he wanted to know for me. And so I um, thought for a second and I said, um, I said, you know, my view of the Sabbath is the same as Jesus's. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't no dummy. He goes, what's that? I said, well, you know, Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And the response was like this 30-second grunt. <clears throat> Y'all, as your pastor, I don't take issue with recreation on the Sabbath. Like, I took an exception to that in the Westminster Standards. I don't. And um, you're not going to believe this. I'm pretty sure Jesus doesn't either. <laughs> Y'all, for me, that's part of rest. There's a lot of rest and recreation I don't get to do the other six days of the week that are part of the Sabbath, right? But let me be very clear about something. Those things come after worship on the Sabbath. Because worship is the primary responsibility of ours. on the, the, the Sabbath is the Lord's day. It, it's set aside. It's to be upheld. It's to be revered. Y'all, and it's for this, right? This is why church in the deer stand doesn't count. <laughs> Sorry. I hear it over and I feel closer to God when I'm on the deer stand. Well, you're not. Because you're not doing community together. <laughs> you're just in the woods. <laughs> that doesn't count. Y'all, it's, it's congregational worship is where we come together to experience grace together weekly to be transformed by the word of God, right? This is why worship is the aspect that comes first in worship Connect and serve. It's that important in terms of a gospel-shaped member. You and I are not healthy members if we aren't involved in congregational worship. Let me tell you one reason why it's so important. It's so important because what it allows us to do is live in the same word of God each week together. Right? And feeding and feasting on the same grace that we all heard together throughout the week. That's special. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit will knit relationships and, con and, and, and 
for congregation members together, right, that are based on the word that we heard in the same week in worship. That's not an accident. No, we are created to be worshipers, and, and this is where we worship on almost every Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11. Here's how that fits into our mission statement of experience and expressing that we talked about the last couple of weeks. Worship is something that we give, right? You got to track with me here. Worship is something that we offer, correct? It is an expression. It is a response to what we've experienced from God, correct? We experience His grace, and in response, we worship. We praise Him. We sing of His glory, of His grace, of His love, of His care, of His forgiveness, of His steadfast love, of His provisions and His protection. And his... That's what we come together to do. Now, look up here. Not at me. Look at the aesthetics of this area and this room. Because this is, I bet you've never noticed this. This is intentional. If you were to sum up the decor in one word, besides tan and brown, it would be simple. Is it not? I mean, we're borderline plain. Do you want me to tell you why that's intentional? Because your entertainment is not the point of corporate worship. This is not the place where you come Sunday after Sunday to hear feel-goody sermons and feel better about yourself and to be entertained. There's a hundred other places in town where you can find that. Y'all, the reason why it is stripped down to the bare essentials is because we don't come here as worshipers to get primarily. We come here to give. You are not the audience of the worship service, right? He is. <laughs> and so that's why all this is stripped down to bare necessities so there's no distraction and there's no confusion about who's the audience. He is. All right, we could go to Hebrews, right? Where we're instructed not to forsake the assembly of the saints. That's corporate worship. That's grace-based saying, look, don't get in a habit of, of missing worship. It's, it's commanded for believers. But y'all, I would, I, would I would say it like this. Who wants to miss the opportunity Sunday after Sunday to give thanks and honor and glory for the one who is saved and redeemed and loves wretches like us. Do you want to miss that? <laughs> now, who wants to miss the opportunity to, to be reminded once a week together? Because we're so apt to forget, right? 
Who wants to miss the opportunity to be reminded that he has saved us and that he has loved us and that he is faithful and he is good and he is gracious and he is merciful? I don't want to miss that because by one o'clock today, I'm going to forget it. Y'all, barring being out of town, barring the Sundays that you wake up with a migraine and, and you keep up online, y'all, where else would you want to be on a Sunday morning, right? Than sitting next to people that love you, that Jesus spilt his blood for, and being reminded with them over and over and over again, week in and week out, the beauty of the gospel. Where else in town would you rather be? It has nothing to do with me. I've told my job is the mailman. Here's what it says. That's what I do. We don't we don't come here for me. We come to be reminded week after week after week that His grace is greater than our sin and our folly and our stupidity. Oh, you don't want to miss that, right? We exist to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Back to the catechism. Worship is the foundation of glorifying God, right? Of course, the first thing in a gospel-shaped member is worship. Because that's what the gospel produces. It Hearts that have a desire to, to give back, to give praise to God for all that he has done for us. Second thing that we see on the Sabbath day is connection. They arose in verse 38 and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, what do you think they're going to do at Simon's house after worship? It's the same thing you do. It's biblical, apparently. They're going to eat Sunday lunch. Exactly. That's what they're doing. They've gone to synagogue. They've worshiped. And now Jesus and, and his disciples go to Peter's house. And they're going to share a meal together. That, that's what they do. <clears throat> and Simon's mother-in-law is ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. Now, once again, you, you kind of see that, that hint of, of Luke in his authorship that's unique to him, right? Because other gospels would just say, and his mother-in-law had a fever. When Luke tells you that she had a high fever with Luke being a doctor, that's an, he's saying this one is really bad and it could have killed her. <clears throat> it's life-threatening. And so those with Jesus are, are concerned and their lives are connected together and they appeal to him on her behalf. Now let's talk about connection for a minute. Y'all, it's great to be connected in community and have people that can celebrate your wins with you, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that? When things happen, there's something that, that multiplies the grace and the praise when you have someone to share it with, correct? Correct. 
But it's also vital when it's your turn to enter into seasons of pain, is it not? I mean, community is great when there's wins to celebrate. Community is vital when your number is up and it's time to walk through affliction and suffering and pain. And and this is what I want to talk about for a second. In both cases, worshipers connect through devoted fellowship and a shared response to the gospel, right? So I would begin like this as we talk about connection. Do you have anyone in your life that, that you can do this with or that does this with you? My, my best friend, uh, we talk via text mainly, but every once in a while, he will call or text and he will start the conversation like this. I've got to tell you this. And now this is very important. I have to brag on something that God did in my life yesterday. Do you understand how much connection is in that relationship? Because if it's just, hey, I got to tell you something that happened yesterday. It can, it can, it's, there's a fine, fine line where that could be confused as bragging, right? And prideful. It is a whole different story when the phone is blowing up by saying, hey, I have to, I have to tell you something amazing, you're not going to believe this, that God did in my life yesterday. Y'all, you got anybody that you can celebrate those wins with? That's connection. Not boasting about myself. This is obviously a place where all the glory and all the honor goes to him. He showed up and I just want somebody that I can celebrate with and what he did. We talked about this in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago. What about when you have blown it in your sin? Like when you hit the foul ball that ends up in the parking lot, it's so bad. And the enemy, the enemy wants you to be the piece of charcoal that that gets knocked away from the rest of the fire, right? It wants you to be cold and isolated so that he can assault you with guilt and shame. Is there anybody, just one person that you're connected with enough that knows you that is never surprised by anything that you say? Y'all, if you don't have one, start praying for just one person. Just someone that will love you and accept you and not judge you, that's safe and that's trustworthy, and that when you say, hey, I've got, to get, I've got to bring this sin from the darkness to the light, they will either raise their hand in response that they've done it too, or they will stop and ask to pray for you, for y'all. Someone that doesn't judge because they know you. I've got several people like that in my life and, and the, one of the ones that's my favorite is I'll tell him when it's my turn and he'll always make this face and cross his fingers and he'll go, I'm just never surprised because I know you and I know it could always be worse. Go find one of those. Or better yet, go be one of those. You're safe with me. 
There's nothing that you could confess to me that would shock me or make me think any less of you because I know that you were just as much of a sinner as I am. And you lay out the right set of circumstances and there's no sin that I won't commit by Tuesday. I know that's true about me and I know it's true about you. That's connection, right? And then when there's seasons of suffering and hardship, I remember, and I've told you this, I think I repeat this story every year. You'll hear it again next year. When my friend Dave Busby, one of my mentors, was dying and at the end of his life, and it was, he said there were five or six times where I would be rushed to the hospital and they would tell everybody, this is it. That happened like five or six times. And finally it was that. But during the five or six times, he would always talk about all of the, he had, he had three guys that he called his garden friends. Remember that? He, he took that term from the last night of Jesus' life in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and he said that, you know, the disciples went in there, but Jesus took Peter, James, and John further into the garden. Remember that? To pray with them. And he said, you got to get some garden friends. Like, that's fine, the 12. I mean, that's great. But there has to be, there has to be a group. The garden friends are the one um, that you let into your pain. The garden friends are the one that, that enough connection and community has been done together that, that they, they get to come into the painful seasons with you. And he would say that, that every time that, oh no, this is it. He said, he said one by one, without anybody sending out a text-a-thon, because they didn't have text back then. He said, one by one, every day, I would hear the, open, the door open and I would hear it shut in the hospital and here came another one. And he said, they would just walk in and kneel by the side of my bed and weep or pray. Y'all, that's connection, right? In all three of those situations, wins, sins, hardships, being connected is grace for the soul. Community is grace for the soul. In all three of those situations, you will face them alone if you're not connected. So that's why we offer smaller groups at our church, right? I mean, affinity groups, Sundays, whatever you want to call it, aged, it kind of starts there. And we've, we've tried to lay out opportunities where you can get to know people that are in the same age and stage of you in your life. Because here's a shocker, you're never going to believe this. You will have more things in common to talk about. But there are many other places than that, right? We have men's studies and women's studies and music team and youth leaders and y'all... The point is that, that you would do ministry, but that you would find someone or ones where you can both know and be known, right? Where, where, where you can build community and, and connection. Because the journey of faith that we're all on that lies ahead, you're going to need it, right? Like, it, it's coming. And we're built for it. God built, uh, he built his people. He designed us to be connected to others in community in the church for all those seasons of life. All right, the last thing we see is serving. 
In verse 39, Jesus serves Peter's mother. He graciously performs a miracle for her. This is so, um, there are so many things that Jesus does that I'm ashamed of when I look at my own life, and this is one of them. Like I was studying this text, and I thought, I'm going to resign the next day. Um, I usually get home on a Sunday after church, and the last thing on my mind is serving. Like, I just served since 5.30 this morning. I'm served out. (laughs) Isn't it great that he's the great shepherd and I'm not? (laughs) Y'all, he's taught in the synagogue. He's done a public exorcism. Don't you think he's probably ready for a break? Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, if you are a skeptic, uh, that's a really important verse. For, I, would, I would camp out there for a while if I were you. Um, everything Jesus says Everything or one obeys, whether it's demons, whether it's fevers, whether it's storms. Um, You you want me to tell you why? I'm going to save you a lot of time. You want me to tell you why? Because he's God. It's just that simple. So Peter's mother-in-law has a high fever. It's a bad fever. Jesus rebukes the fever and not like 30 minutes later, right? Like, Immediately, she gets up out of bed and starts cooking lunch. In response to Jesus' kindness, his service to her, she rose and began to serve them. That sign of kind of sounds like experiencing and expressing grace and truth. That's what it is. Kind of like on the last night of Jesus' life. Before they end up in Garden of Gethsemane with the garden friends, remember he rises from the table dresses himself in the attire of a slave, washes their feet, he served them, and then what did he tell them? Go do likewise. Those who have been served by Jesus in turn serve one another. So they eat lunch. Some time has elapsed around the table that afternoon. The Sabbath is coming to an end in verse 40. Still no rest. Now when the sun was setting... All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Can you imagine? Taught all morning, healed a demoniac, healed Peter's mother-in-law, sat around the table at lunch all day, and now, um, this this is important, when the sun was setting, you know what that means? The Sabbath is over. So now all these people that have heard Jesus is in town, that have been waiting all day to go to him, the sun is finally setting, the Sabbath is over. You know, they pick up their ill and let's go find him. And he healed many on every one of them. He keeps serving. He keeps, he's worshiped, he's connected, and now he serves. 
Y'all, that's where we got gospel shape member from, right? One who worships, one who is connected to others in the body, and one who in turn serves as Christ has served them. Where can you express what you've experienced within the body of Madisonites? That's all we're asking you. And then I get this. This is my favorite. I'm not really good at anything. Seriously? Like, can you run an electric blower? Hosting. Like, the fact that we had to ask more people for host team. Host team is the greatest thing in the world. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> you ever wanted to be a, a bistro, but we're embarrassed to work at Starbucks? We would love to have you back there. Y'all, Sunday school teachers, helping the We have a booklet that you can get that is loaded with things that you can do to serve. You have gifts that you can offer to the body, right? You do. Somebody told me this not long ago. I'm so busy, I don't have time. And I said, dude, you're singing my song, Captain Busy. I get it. There's never not a time that I'm not busy. I love when the phone rings and and the first question is, are you busy? Yep. (laughs) I'm not busy when I'm asleep. Otherwise, I'm busy. Just like you, right? Of course I'm busy. And this guy goes, I'm so busy, I don't know when I'm going to, this was last year, I don't know when I'm going to have time to worship, connect, and serve. I said, I got a great plan for you. You want to be really efficient? Like, me, like Captain Efficiency. I love efficiency. Love it. It's my spiritual gift. I said, here's what I would do if I were you. You apparently have time to be here on Sunday, right? Because you do come. He's like, yeah. I said, instead of being on and off the campus in an hour, what if you came and worshiped at the 8.30 service, you went to Sunday school and connected at 10 o'clock, and then at 11 you served? You can't make it up. <laughs> like you can get it all done when you're already here. You know what's crazy? He did it. (laughs) I never knew how many people. Yeah, shocker. Yo, let me tell you why it matters. I stole everything I'm about to tell you. It's out of that book that Wally had me read. Um, You're not crazy before we started this series. It was so good. You know this, but I bet you probably have. I'm different. Um, I bet you've thought of this before. I have never thought of this. This is in Matthew 10, verses 29 to 30. Just listen, we're almost done. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Mark 10, 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, with persecutions and in the age to come in eternal life. You ever heard that? 
Jesus is honest that there's a cost in following him, right? There's a real cost to discipleship. There's a real cost to sanctification. And Jesus is saying, look, you're going to lose things. And the most painful thing that you're going to lose when following me is going to be relationships. Right? I mean, I have bridges in my life that are burned with people that I loved because I have to believe what this book says. I'm being burned to the ground. They won't speak to me again. And it wasn't because I was myself. It's just because they know, you really believe that? I really do. Sorry. The, the most costly thing that you will pay in following Jesus will be relational. He knows that. And when the cost appears sky high, Jesus assures us in this verse that it's worth it. That's what he's doing. He's saying, look, I know it's hard. I know it's a lot. I know it seems like inflation has blown that relationship through the root. That cost is going to be hard for you, but I'm worth it. And then he makes this statement. And what's so amazing about the promise, right? Jesus tells us he's worth it, not just in the age to come, but he's worth it also in this life. Not just in the age to come, in this life, we will receive far more from him than we left behind to follow him, even when it comes to relationships. Now, this is what I'd never thought of. He said, you're going to gain homes. You're going to be welcomed into places, lands, family. You're never going to find yourselves relationally out of pocket by following me. And then he, he, he promises us a deep, rich, abiding community of people to do life with, right? He promises to provide that. He is staking his own reputation on the fact that you will gain these things. Sisters and mothers and father and children and lands in this age. Now, here it is. Not only are you and I the people to whom the promise is made, we are part of that promise to other people that Jesus is making it to. You want to know why worship, connect, and serve is important? Because you are part of the promise that Jesus makes to others. You are or a father, or a mother, or a brother, or a sister, or a sons, or a daughter, or a home, or a land for others, believer. He has promised you and your stuff and your gifts and your relationship to others as part of the promise. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> I haven't either. That's why we need you. This is not me browbeating going, look at all the empty seats. That ain't the problem. We don't have that problem. Y'all, it's because it matters. It mattered enough to the king that when he made the promise, you're included. <clears throat> all right, here's how we'll close. Pastoral closing today.
Um, I don't care how big our church gets. You need to hear me say that. I don't care. I get asked a couple of times a month at out and about how big is your church? I'm like, I don't know. I know it's not a thousand. Every time we get close, somebody gets sick or dies or moves or leaves. It's somewhere around there, but I don't know what the exact number is. I don't care. Um, I'm not a numbers guy. I don't look to numbers for my own affirmation to measure my success in ministry. If Jesus tells me tomorrow my calling is over, I'm out. Like I've told, I've told you that, right? Let me tell you what I care about. This is not false humility. Yo, I don't care what the numbers are. I passionately care about you being a healthy gospel shape member. That gets me excited. I care about seeing the sheep that God has given us to care for being healthy. Who are worship and connected and serving. I get passionate about that because I'm fairly certain that's what he's passionate about. And we, as your leadership, have failed you if we're not passionate about it as well. And so we think that's found in a member who worships, connects, and serves. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you, um, would you provide grace for us as we leave and, and think over these things? That there's grace in all three aspects. And um, I just pray that if anything I said has been misunderstood, that you would clarify that by your spirit. This, this is not browbeating. This is, this is gospel-shaped membership. Would you cultivate in us hearts that desire to worship and be connected and then, and then find our place where we, can, where we can get on our uniform and get on the field at Madison Heights uh, and play and serve? Um, we do all of that so that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted high and glorified. So as we go to you to do business uh, in those three areas, in the upcoming year and where we might be able to do them better, um, would you lead us? Uh, We pray it in your name. Amen.